Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Psalm 23, which is also called the Shepherd Psalm. I know we're kind of jumping around in the book of Psalms, and um, if you're like, hey, we skipped a bunch, um, our next few weeks, we're going to go back and cover the teens of the Psalms and uh, and get through those as well. But tonight, we're going to go through the 23rd Psalm, which is my favorite, I think, of all the Psalms. And so um, this is titled the Shepherd Psalm. And this may be a psalm you are well familiar with. Maybe it's one that you have memorized at some point in your life. I know when I start reading it and I find myself falling into that like cadence and rhythm of reading it, right? Alone in my shepherd, I shall not want. Like we, there's a cadence to it and there's like this familiarity with it. But that familiarity and that rhythm can cause us to miss the depths of the message of this psalm. That this is a, a wonderful psalm, a wonderful metaphor that's being used by David. And it, he's using it as a description of our relationship with God as well as revealing God's heart for us. So long before David became king over Israel, before he became one of the greatest military generals in Israel, and before he ever killed Goliath the giant... And even after he was anointed by Samuel to be the next king over Israel, David was a shepherd. It was his vocation. In Israel, as in other ancient societies, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all works. Like they were the lowest of the lows. Like no one cared. They were the burger flippers of the ancient day. Um, and there's some dignity to flipping burgers. There's, like if you... If you run a shift of flipping burgers for eight hours, you know what it is to like work hard and smell like the thing that you're cooking. Like there's nothing like grilled onion smell stuck to your clothes for all of eternity. There's nothing like garlic embedded into your fingerprint. Has that ever happened to you? Like I touched the garlic like a week ago, but it's still, it's there. You know what I mean? In Bible college, I used to clean up the kitchen. That was my job. For eight hours a day. <laughs> and they used garlic in like everything. So every day I would go home reeking of garlic. And my roommate delivered pizzas. So our room smelled like pizza and garlic. It smelled delicious. And a little bit of oregano and all things like that. But anyway, in Israel, the, the shepherd was the lowest of the low. If, if a family needed a shepherd, it was always the youngest son like David, who got this unpleasant assignment. And Jehovah, God, remember Jehovah means the self-existing one, who, need, who does not need our help. The God who created all the universe has always existed, has always been. Um, Jehovah has chosen to be our shepherd, David says. And as he begins to look at the way that he cares for his sheep and the, way, the work that he does, he begins to see that mirrored in the image of God and in what God does in his relationship to us. But David is not dishonoring or being irreverent towards the Lord. He's not like, huh, God's a lowly shepherd. But having been a shepherd, he sees the intense care and work that goes into tending a flock. 
And the description of the Lord is, is seen as far back as Genesis 49, 24, that the Bible actually describes God as a shepherd, that he is the shepherd of the, of the children of Israel. Chapter 49 of the book of Genesis, verse 24, it says, Yet his bow remained unmoved, his arms were made agile, but the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Now, there is a what's, what's called anthropomorphic language there. Yeah. It, it, God does not have hands, God does not have ears, God does not have eyes, but yet in describing the way that God, it's not that God's a blob, but God is spirit, right? God is spirit. And so when the Bible attributes human attributes to God, like when, when the, the psalmist finally says, he says, is God's arm too short that he cannot reach? The answer is no. Because God's arm is, is not an arm at all. In fact, it's, it's this way of describing God with the things that we see. And so when he's talking about the hands of God, or the eyes of God, it's anthropomorphic. In Psalm 28 and Psalm 80, as well as Ecclesiastes 12, Isaiah 40, Micah 7, Zechariah 13, and then Jesus confirms this description as God as our shepherd and identifies himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. So the, the, the description of God, Jehovah, as shepherd, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. As it was described of God, that's also me. He calls himself and all of us, which is really endearing, if he is the shepherd, he calls all of us his sheep, right? He calls us his sheep, not the greatest compliment um, that you will ever receive or you or I have ever received. They are known as not the smartest animal, the most cunning or strong. There is no such thing as a guard sheep. No one has ever had a guard sheep. They are the least vicious creature ever. In fact, they have something called uh, mutton busting, where they put little children on the back of sheep and they see how long they can ride them. Google it. It's one of the coolest things ever. They, there's a, a little youngster wrapped around a sheep, and the thing is like running, and the kid just is holding on for dear life, you know? It's amazing. They're cute, and they are yummy. Those are the two things we know of sheep. But what's universal, what's universal about all sheep is that they all need a shepherd. All sheep are in need of a shepherd. They cannot live without one. They don't have teeth. They don't have claws. If, if you scare one, they'll fall over. Like they just will drop like, and they fall on their back. If their wool gets too heavy, they'll drown themselves, right? That's why they shave their wool off because as they drink, the wool would fill with water and would pull their head into the water and they'll drown. <laughs> exactly. They're like the dumbest things ever. If one sheep decides to like fall off a cliff, all of them will jump off a cliff. So without a shepherd... These things are doomed. They're doomed to survive. So we're going to look at three things that the shepherd does, okay? There's three things that our shepherd does for us tonight. The shepherd sustains, the shepherd guides us, and the shepherd is our host. So verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or as another translation puts it, I lack nothing. Does anyone have that translation? You do? Right. ESV? Uh, NIV. NIV, solid. Okay. Um, I lack nothing, which I love. I have this in, in my house on a big uh, poster that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. But before we go any further, we have to identify who our shepherd is. 
The shepherd, who the shepherd is, determines the quality of the life of the sheep. David declares that the Lord, or Jehovah, the existing one, is our shepherd, the creator and all-powerful God. He is the one who is directly responsible for the creation of all and the sustainer of all natural and supernatural. He is the savior of the world, the one who not only created everything we see, but spilled his own blood to save us from the penalty of our own sin. The one who offers us life, his home, his family, his leadership, his ownership, and care. Therefore, I will lack nothing. That's, that's the scope of the care of God. And, and, the, and it goes beyond um, what we can think of. If you can't say that the Lord is my shepherd, meaning he's the one who's in control, who I trust and follow, then the second part of the verse will not be true. If, if you're saying that the Lord... The Lord is my shepherd, then I'm not going to lack anything. Unless the first part is true, the second part will not be true. But before we move on from this verse, what is it to lack or to want? What is lack in the Bible? How does it uh, flesh itself out? The Apostle John describes it like this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So a pastor put it like this, um, to feel great is the desire of the flesh, it's to look great is the lust of the eyes, and to be great is the pride of life. We are driven often by what we don't have, right? It's what drives us a lot of times. That desire for something, and a lot of times it's not a bad thing to be driven like towards a goal and have goals. You should have goals in life. If you're like, I just don't want to be driven. <laughs> like, I don't want to have goals because I don't want to be driven. Like, you should have goals and you should shoot for those goals. But if you're like, I want to live my dream, whatever, you, goals are fine. You know what I'm saying? Be a veterinarian if that's your goal and like desire. Go for it. You want to surf big waves? Go for it. You want to, whatever, to the glory of God, obviously. We're getting off track here. The point is this. Some of us need that in order to give us that competitive edge, right, to propel us forward. We need that, some, that something to be shoot for or to be driven by. But what David is experiencing is a life of contentment with the Lord, is he, is he saying. Like, because God is my shepherd, I don't feel this want in my life, this lack in my life. I have contentment, which is something that all of us, I'm like, sometimes I'm wondering if I'm ever going to find it. Even though I know Jesus, I battle, and if you're, maybe you're better people than I am, but I battle with contentment. There's always something better. Someone always drives something better than I drive. Someone always does a cutback better than the way I do a cutback. And I long to cut back like that. Sweeping, long, drop need, just stylish. Someone's always skinnier, obviously. There's always like this, this picture in our minds of, of something that's better that we lack. There's nothing that this world has to offer that's going to bring the satisfaction and fill that want or lack in your life like the shepherd. Like the shepherd. There's so many things that I think we get caught up with in this life materialistically that it distracts us and it creates unnecessary want or unnecessary lack. Does that make sense? All of us need a place to live. All of us need something to drive. All of us need money, obviously. 
But it's sometimes there's unnecessary lack in our life where it's something that like I'm shooting for and driven by and I'm obsessing about, you know what I'm talking about? You're checking it online all the time. You're like seeing if the price change or seeing whatever and you're, you're like it's shipping and you're like tracking it and you're like, when's it going to get in here? It's going to get in here. It's going to get in here. And then you open the box and you're like, finally, my life's complete. I have it. That lightsaber thing that, that came out and I finally like, I have it. Yay. Woo. Yeah. And then it breaks, you know, whatever. It's, it's just that satisfaction, that lack that we're looking for in our life. Look what you're truly seeking is Christ. What we're all truly after is, is what the shepherd offers is a life of contentment. A great picture of this is seen in Matthew chapter 19. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19 real quick. Matthew 19. Keep your finger in Psalm 23. We'll come back to it. Maybe you're familiar with this text. You know this, this uh, story. I'm in Mark. That's not Matthew. Matthew 19. This is the story of the rich young ruler. It says in verse 16, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good that one that is God. But if you want to enter into life... Keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? I've done all those things. What we find out about this guy is that at the very end of his encounter with Jesus is that he was very wealthy. He was very wealthy. It says that Jesus tells him, if you want to be perfect, then go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But what's interesting is what the guy asked for. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's what I want. I want life. That's what I'm after. How do I get it? He had great possessions and still wasn't satisfied. And so maybe we can read into this a little bit, but he goes full on into religion then. Like, I have all the money. I'm wealthy. I have all that I want, but yet I'm still searching for life. Like, how do I get it? And Jesus tells him, well, keep the commandments. He says, well, I've done those things. I'm doing those things. I'm going full on hardcore into religion. I'm doing all the right things. Why do I still lack? Why is it still there? Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he reads this list and he's stoked. Like, I haven't murdered. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't borne false witness. I'm currently honoring my father and mother. I'm crushing this whole loving my neighbor thing. Like, I'm doing those things. What else do I still lack? See, we do this too. We get religious, thinking that's what's going to do it. Like, if I just do the right things, like I serve in children's ministry, or I tithe my money, or I do all these things, then I'm going to feel this, this peaceful, like, this this wave of peace come over me. I'm doing all the right things. I'm reading my Bible like I should. I'm praying like I should. I'm doing all these right things. Are you doing it because that's what you think is going to bring you what you want? Or are you doing it because you want Jesus? 
Are you doing it to get something from God or are you doing it to get God? Because if, if it's the other way around, you're treating God like a vending machine. Like I put in my two cents, now give me my candy bar, right? I've done my thing, now, now give me what I want. And that's not what it is. God calls us into relationship as shepherd, as he is our leader, he's our guide, that he's leading us to what is best for us. And then he asked that question, like, what do I still lack? I've obeyed the rules. I've got possessions. How is it that I'm not satisfied? And the ironic thing about lack or, or want is that it is always pushing us towards a life without it. That if it could just, you fill in the blank, then contentment is around the corner. It's this perpetual, lack is a perpetual carousel that has no corner but if I just keep going it's gotta be there right it goes up and down and around and it always promises lack promises that just around the corner that's where contentment is gonna be if I just keep chasing it and I just keep going but ultimately it leaves us dizzy and sick because it's not found but verse 21 this is the answer but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What is the answer then? Jesus said, give that up. Let it go. Follow me. I am enough. That's the answer. Jesus, if you really want life, if you really want that, that feeling of lack to be gone, and you want that peace that you've been chasing, give it up, let it go, and come and follow me. It's this call to follow the shepherd as he leads him. But often, man, I don't know about you, we doubt this reality, that we doubt this truth, that this is what Adam and Eve fell into the garden and doubted whether or not God would be enough. Is he true? Is what he says true? They doubted his word. They doubted uh, whether or not God was holding back from them. And so they fell into sin. And the feeding of the 5,000, if you remember, there's 12 baskets of leftovers in that instance where Jesus takes a few loaves and a few fish and he multiplies it and feeds thousands of people there on that hill so much so that there's 12 baskets left over. Like he just fed everybody and then these huge bins are full, left over. And they're going, man, not only did he supply till everyone was fattened, is the text. Like they were so full that they couldn't eat anymore and God just kept on supplying. Like Jesus just kept on multiplying. And they're like, stop, we can't take anymore. We're full, we're good. I have some in my pockets too. Like I've lined it, we're good, everyone's good. And there's still fragments all over the place that people begin to gather up and there's 12 baskets of leftover. The point of that story, of, of the gathering up of the leftovers, is the fact that God doesn't waste anything. He would never waste a human life given to him. And with him, there is always enough. God's not going to waste your life. So if you're doubting whether or not, like, God, are you really that good? Is, are you really enough for me? Because like, I've had, I have some, and it's good, but I, I want this, and I want that. And, and God said, why don't you try just giving that up for a moment? And why don't you wholeheartedly follow after me and see that I'm enough? It's a step of faith. One thing that always encourages me about this is not just the physical aspect of God's provision, 
but the spiritual as well. He never runs out of grace for us. He never runs out of forgiveness for us. He never lacks the ability to save the sinner. And he never runs out of love for us. Man, that brings me so much contentment and joy. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, I have all things and abound. Not because I have a good store of money in the bank. Not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread. But because the Lord is my shepherd. Verse 2. Back to Psalm 23. It says that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me. Two of the greatest needs that sheep have is green pastures and quiet waters or still waters. But the ironic thing about sheep is that they do not know how to find these on their own. Like they can't find them on their own. They need a shepherd to lead them to it. They know that they have a need, but not the proper and good things to fill it, right? They need to, a shepherd to lead them to it. They don't know how to hunt for these things. Like sheep are known for their hunting skills. Um, they're not like, right? I smell grass. Like it's this way. Follow me. Sheep often will drink really bad water. If it's left in like a, any kind of stagnant pond, it's just left there. They'll drink it and they'll die. They'll eat anything. Anything laying around, they'll eat it. it. They have to be led to green pastures. And as they eat all that food, then the shepherd must move them on to somewhere else and move them again and move them again in order that they eat the right things and have a, have a steady diet. Otherwise, they eat the wrong things and they get poisoned and they die. So, now God is not forcing us. When it says that God makes us lie down in green pastures, God is not forcing us to do this. God does not violate our free will and force us to lay down. He's like, lay down and eat. For crying out loud, <laughs> just pushes you down to the ground and eat that. He doesn't do that to us. God leads us and he makes us in the sense that what he gives us is good. Like, why wouldn't I take this? The idea is that he creates an environment to where we are at total peace. We're at total peace where we can finally lay down. What's crazy is if sheep sense any kind of danger they will not rest they won't lay down they're constantly like on their only defense system is to run right like many of us in junior high the only defense system we had was just to run like the minute that kid came around the corner run fool I had three older brothers and my only defense up until I got to like seventh or eighth grade was to run to run for my life and to run to my dad, like anywhere, like just run and then grab hold of his leg and just hope for dear life that like they weren't going to pull me off. Often they would pull me off and like just beat the trash out of me all the time. And then I got bigger and now I'm known as the big little brother and they leave me alone. So um, anyway, sheep won't do this unless they are certain that their needs are met. They must be free from fear and anxiety. Sheep are incredibly timid and easily spooked. A jackrabbit can run through a field and create wild hysteria. They will run in blind fear, not even knowing what they are running from, right? Anyone ever do that? You run, and everyone just runs in all different directions, like just in blind fear, not knowing what's going on. It's because they have nothing to defend themselves with except to run. And because they are afraid and anxious, that some th something might be lurking or waiting to attack, they cannot lay down and rest. They can't. And so often we can live our lives that way. 
so overcome and overwhelmed by the thought of what if, what if, what if this and what if that? I know uh, of recent days, I'm just like, well, what if I, you know, make the wrong move or, or I make a bad decision? Like, what if I ruin my family because I make a dumb decision? What if this happens? And what if that happens? And, and all of us are, what if the stock market, I don't even know anything about stocks because I don't have any money, but like, what if this happens? What if that happens? And so often we can be crippled, paralyzed by the fear of the what if, something that doesn't exist right? It hasn't happened yet. 85% of what we worry about never happens. Never happens. We, we cannot live our life in, in this false reality of what might happen instead of reacting to what does happen. I remember doing counseling for, for high school kids and, and junior high kids, and they would always be like, well, what if, what if? And I'm like, well, do you believe in, re- in leprechauns? And I'm like, no. And you're like, you cannot be afraid of something that doesn't exist. Right? Or can we? <laughs> we are often. Like, leprechauns don't exist. Have you ever saw the movie Leprechaun? It's horrifying. It's a horror movie. So, so it, like, worked. But it, you cannot, we often live our life in the what-ifs, and we're so fearful of this false reality that never takes place. And so there's no rest, there's no peace. Like the, like the text says, that's why Jesus leads us to a, a place, and he says, here's a place where you can rest, knowing that I'm in control and always on watch. Like where I'm leading you and where I'm guiding you, you can lay down and rest and be at peace. So we stay on the move. Man, if anxious thoughts have taught us anything, it just keeps us moving all the time. So we stay on the move, never allowing ourselves to settle or get too close to people because what if? Like, what if they hurt me? Or what if this happens? And what if that happens? Because anxiety and fear often come when we realize that we are not in control. And if we can't control it, then fear comes in like a flood. There's three ways the Bible tells us that fear is dispelled from us. Number one is his presence. John 14, 25 says, These things I have spoken to you, while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance that I have said to you, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What did Jesus say? You don't have to be afraid because my presence is with you. Like we learned in Psalm 139 last week, wherever you go, like you cannot escape the presence of God. To the depths of hell or to the heights of heaven, God is there. Isaiah 41.10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, his presence. 2 Timothy 4.16, it says, At my first offense, no one came to stand with me. This is Paul speaking. But all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fulfilled might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul says, when I got arrested, everyone left me. I was by myself, in a prison cell, no one to help me, I was all alone. But Jesus was with me. His presence was promised. Mark 4, Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves and he says, <laughs> he says to them, peace, be still. Right? They're in the midst of this storm. They're like, we're going to die and Jesus stands up and says, peace, be still. I'm with you. I'm in the boat with you. 
We can live either with a sense of anxiety or fear or in a sense of quiet rest, but you have to make that choice of which one it is. Like that's a choice that we make. There's so many times circumstances happen all around us. We can't control what happens to us a lot of times, but we can control is whether or not I'm going to live in the sense of anxiety and fear or I'm going to live in quiet rest knowing that the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. He's going to lead me to a place. He's going to cause me to lie down. He's going to allow me to rest because he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. The second one is his promise. So his presence and his promise. Deuteronomy 31.6, it says, Be strong and courageous, do not fear or be, or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who, do, who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It's a promise. It's a promise from the Lord. I won't leave you, I won't forsake you. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, he says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's a promise. Right? So he says, I pro- my promise is that my presence will be with you, and my promise is, is that I care for you more than anyone else who will ever care for you. Anyone else. Like, no one comes close to the quantity or the quality of the love and care of God for you. That's his promise. The last one is his power. They all start with P's. <laughs> Here we go. Here's his power. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will live, that you will live, you will have tribulation. That also is a promise. But take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. No matter what goes on in the world, there will be tribulation. Jesus says, I've overcome it with my power. More powerful than it. Isaiah 25, 8. He says this, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken and it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. And this is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. All of us fear what we cannot control what is outside of God's control? Weather systems? Is there anything outside of God's control? No. So if God is leading me and God is my shepherd, then I, I not only am I going to lack nothing, I'm certainly not going to lack peace. He's going to provide it. If, if I'm following my shepherd. If you can say the first thing, then the second thing will follow. Fear actually distorts reality. It's crazy. It, it switches roles and makes whatever we are afraid of more powerful and bigger than God. Anxiety and fear are at the root of unbelief. It leads us to believe that God has forgotten us like that old shirt you find in the bottom of your drawer, right? You're like, oh, there it is. <laughs> I love this shirt. It smells like my drawer because it's at the very bottom. Has that ever happened to you? You can actually begin to think that's how God thinks about us. Like, you forgot me. God, you forgot about me this week. Like, where were you? Where were you, man? Just like um, Martha says the, those exact words to Jesus. She, like, sees him coming from afar off, and she goes to him and says, Lord, where were you? We told you what was going on. We told you what was happening. We told you to come quickly, and you took your sweet time. Like, if you had been here, 
like we asked you to, this never would have happened. You blew it, is what she's telling him. You blew it. It's pretty honest with the Lord, isn't she? Where were you? And Jesus says to her, your brother will live again, right? He's going to live again. I know he's going to live. I know theologically, yeah, someday my brother's going to live. In the, in the resurrection, I know. Yeah, cool. I know what the Bible says. Awesome. Thank you. That doesn't help me right now, per se. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And out walks her brother. Dude, this is honestly so much of the struggle of our life. Um, whether you're a young adult, or you're an adult adult, or you're an old adult. Almost dead adult. It doesn't matter. These are things that we will consistently and constantly battle as fear and anxiety. For some reason, we feel like it has to be medicated. Christ, and I understand there are degrees. I understand that there's deep things and rooted things and histories and past and things that, that cause a lot of, of this turmoil. Or your fear and your anxiety is never bigger. Whatever you're afraid of or whatever is causing anxiety is never bigger or stronger than the God that you serve. Ever. Ever. That has to be a truth that is rooted within our heart. Not only that we know, but we believe. It cannot be just a knowledge thing. Like, yeah, I know God is omnipresent. I know God is, is omniscient. I know that God is omnipotent. I know. But do you believe it in your heart that he is? I know that God is omnibenevolent, that he is all loving. I know it in here. But do you believe it in here, in the depths of your soul? Because that's where it's going to be challenged. Listen, either God is God and knows how to hold all things together, or we have much bigger problems than what we're facing. But look at what he says here. We are free from hunger. And I got an amen. Hallelujah. A hungry, ill-fed sheep will not lay down, right? The, unless they're fed, they're not going to relax. God led the nation of Israel to a land flowing with milk and honey, he said. He provided with manna and quail. He fed them in the wilderness. But remember, they longed for the garlic and the leeks of Egypt, right? Oh, man, if we could just have some leeks. No one has ever said that, ever, Right? Some of you are looking at each other like, you said that yesterday. <laughs> if I could just have matcha, like, right? Or, or we could just have whatever. Oh, if only I had, blah. What is that? That's lack. That's lack. That's what it is. They had, they had man in the wilderness. They had quail. They had water. God provided. And they're like, oh, if only I had leeks and garlic. So much so that they said at one point, like, let's just go back to Egypt. Like, the food was so good, I'm willing to be a slave again. It's insanity. But so often, guys, that's how we live our life. So often, the Lord desires to satisfy the hunger in our soul, but we fill it up with the garbage of this world. Right? I remember um, when I was younger and I had no responsibility, I would, my wife would work on Saturday, and so I would go surfing all day. Like, she would work from, like, 8 in the morning to, like, Nine o'clock at night, God bless her soul. And she supported my surfing habit. And so I would like drive to Trussell's and I would skate down there in the dark, like surf all day, eat peanut butter and jelly like it was going out of style. And then once it was like, once we left the beach, then we go just 
scrounge whatever my friend Jeff and I were super poor and like one time we're just scrounging through the car we found uh I think we found a five and and like a bunch of change what do you do when you're poor and you where do you go to eat when you have five dollars and some change Taco Bell I heard it that's where you go right I'm gonna eat like a king at Taco Bell it was just like bean burritos and like shoved it like as much bean burritos as we can get with this and we walk out of there with like six each. And we're like, oh my gosh. We're pounding bean burritos. I've never felt more sick in my entire life. <laughs> and we finally get home. And my wife, she has, she goes, someone gave me like these as like a tip to, this, to Morton Steakhouse. Like, and tonight we're going to Morton Steakhouse. And I'm like, I'm so full of beans. <laughs> I, I, I can't, like, I cannot physically do this, and I shouldn't leave the house, if you know what I mean. You know, like, I, I can't do this. And, and I, I remember just, she was so disappointed, like, so disappointed. And I'm like, well, there's always tomorrow, <laughs> you know, whatever. But anyway, isn't that so much of what our life is like? God's like, I want to satisfy your hunger and your soul. But you're like, no, I'm good. Pornography will do it. Alcohol will do it. Drugs will do it. That'll take care of it. Whatever desire that I have, yeah, that'll, that'll solve it. My selfishness, my laziness, yeah, I'd rather have that. And God says, oh, man, I could actually, like, satisfy that to where you're actually at peace. You're not running around trying to fill it even more because it's unsatisfying, and you're just going from the next thing to the next thing. God's like, you're filling up on beans <laughs> when I can satisfy your soul, you know? It's just, it's gnarly. And I know it's, it's funny, and I know I use dumb, like, dumb illustrations. And illustrations are not my, my greatest spiritual gift, but I don't care. Um, that is a reality for a lot of us. For me, I know my life, it was a reality for me. I would, I would binge on stuff that I knew wouldn't satisfy, only to, to know in the back of my head, growing up in church all along, knowing that God's like, you know that I can satisfy it. You know that I could take care of that. You just won't come to me because you doubt whether or not I'm that good. Man, I wish I had done it sooner. But thank God for his grace and his redemption. Um, that's why Jesus said, I am the bread of life. This is my body, which is broken for you. John 7, 37, at the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Booths, right? The people would be in that state of thankfulness, for their crops and what God has provided. And there they are at the water liberation there on that last day of the feast. It's dead silent there on the mountaintop or on the temple mount. And Jesus stands up and says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Right? It's, it's this, this solemn moment of where everyone is waiting for the Messiah. Like they're waiting for that, that moment. Right there, there's this picture of someday the Messiah will come and he will pour out living water. Like that's what we're longing for. And there he is in the midst of him. And he says, it's me. I'm the bread of life. I, I, I'm, if you're thirsty, come and drink from me. That's what's going to satisfy. That's what you've been longing for. Jesus, again, confirming what scripture has told us, that satisfaction and contentment is found in him, that he is the sustainer of all things. Um, the second thing, man, we're only on point two. What time is it? There might be a part two. We'll do a part two because I want you guys to be able to enjoy 
fellowship. Are you okay with that? Cool, all right. We'll just do this point and then we'll stop. The shepherd is our guide. Verse three. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. He restores my soul. If something is restored, it means that at one point it was broken or run down, right? Restoration projects. Lack is like, like we were saying, it's like this cattle dog. If we're the sheep, then lack is like the cattle dog. The cattle dog will nip at the heels of the sheep and try and get it to like move in a direction, right? You've seen them. We love them. Some of you have little Australian shepherds, and they'll nip at like kids, right? My, uh, my brother and sister-in-law have an Australian shepherd, and when my kids were little, it would nip at their legs. And the kids were like, ah. But it would like try and create these kids to like move in a direction, and they would, the thing would try and herd my children, like, like livestock, like animals. <laughs> right? It's like trying to get them into this corner and like get in your pen, kids. And I was like, this is awesome. But it would nip at their little heels. Psalm 42, the psalmist tells us that the soul can be discouraged and worn out and tired. What is it from? It's from lack, nipping at your heels and getting you moving in a direction. There's not even a destination. It's just motion, right? And just nipping, like, just, you got to move. You got to get going. You're 20 years old. What are you doing with your life? Just start, you know, you're 20, calm down. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. It's all going to be okay. You're 20. Relax. Lack says, you, you, no, that's not true. It's all going to end. <laughs> like tomorrow. Like you do not have time. Let's get moving. Let's get moving. So what do you do? Dating app. Nope. 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 There it is. I got to get moving because I want to have kids by, you know, 23. I want to date the guy for at least eight months. And so that gives me blah, 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 blah. I want to go to Europe. I want to travel. So I need this now, right now. Here we go. Woo. Yeah. Date. Let's go. And you start moving way too fast. Why? Because you're trying to fill some like little void. And, and you think a relationship's going to do it. If, if marriage was able to solve the problem in your heart, then Jesus never needed to go to the cross. Like, if it could solve the problem of sin in your life, then why did Jesus go to the cross? Marriage does not solve all of your issues. In fact, it amplifies them. It brings the ones that have been hidden to the surface in front of another person to see for all of the glory that they are. Listen, that, the point is, no matter how much you move in a direction... Sometimes it's only motion. And what that does is wear you out, not just physically, but deep within your soul, and your soul will begin to crack. You have cracks in your soul. I know. I would say, I would have to say, though, that the most destructive agent to our soul is sin, because it not only brought about physical death, but spiritual as well. So often we carry around sin and shame that comes with it and we sit in church or Bible study or small group in the back of our head we start saying, man, I shouldn't be here. I couldn't, I can't, I can't be here. I shouldn't be here because of my sin that's, that's right around here. But yet I won't confess it, get rid of it, turn and repent from it. And that weighs on you. 
It's destructive because it pulls us away from God. It drives a wedge between us and God. Isaiah 53, it says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's what the cattle dog of lack does and temptation of the devil has sought to do to drive you away. But this blood reconditions, Christ's blood reconditions the soul. Just like an old piece of leather comes in contact with oil, it rejuvenates it or it gives it new life. The blood of Jesus reconditions and rejuvenates the dried up and weary soul. And Christ's ability to not only forgive sin, but to remove it from us is not achievable by anyone else. It's only achievable by Christ. This is what brings restoration. What sin had broken and bent, Jesus restores back to its original purity. And after all, what good is green pasture if we have black souls? This word restores in the, in the Hebrew, it translates to cause life to return. Because life returns to it, the life source, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the life source that we are to be connected to. The idea here is the continual and constant connection. That's why Jesus told us in John 15, abide in me. Abide in me. The tendency is to treat the Lord like an outlet, like that we plug into, we get juiced up for the week, and then as our battery starts to drop, we plug back in. Like, okay, I came to church on Sunday. I'm getting charged up. I'm going to be a nice person. <laughs> like, whoo, got my Jesus thing going, and I'm back out there, and then I get worn out, and then I come back and get charged up again. Jesus is the source of life, and we are to be consistently and constantly connected with him. The good shepherd, how does he lead me? What does it look like? There is this comparison between the shepherd and the hireling there in John chapter 10. The shepherd is caring, loving. He knows the sheep by name. He defends them. The hireling is, he abandons them for his own gain. He's not the owner. Therefore, he doesn't care as much about it, right? If you don't own something, do you really care about it? Right? When you rent a car, someday when you turn 25, you'll be able to rent a car. You know what's great about renting a car? Everything is great about renting a car because it's not yours. So that Ford Geo is going to see some airtime, right? That, that four-cylinder is going to be screaming the whole time. And I am going to, you know, you vacuum and all that stuff because of the, the insurance and the gas and all that stuff that they try and chalk up or whatever. But I'm going to drive that thing like I stole it and I hate it. Because <laughs> it's not mine. I don't care. I do not care about it, Right? Think about that when you let someone borrow something. <laughs> like, here you go. Yeah, borrow this. It comes back trashed. Anyway, the shepherd, look what he says in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd leads them out and is close by. He's close by. He doesn't lead us from afar. He doesn't lead us from a far distance, but close enough to hear his voice. He's close. He leads us by name, committed, focused. He's never absent. This is the part that we say amen to. But here's what happens. We switch the roles and we think God is like the hireling, that he abandons me. 
And then this is when we take matters into our own hands. Like, well, God's not paying attention. God's sleeping, right? In the Psalms, he says, awake, O God. Like, arise, O Lord. What is he saying? God, you've been sleeping. Wake up. I'm running for my life. Are you not seeing this? You're missing it. But often it's because we don't want to be the sheep. We want to be the shepherd. It's like when my seven-year-old and my five-year-old tell me how to drive. <laughs> They've never done it, but they're experts at it. Drives me absolutely bonkers. It, it, it frustrates me to no end. My daughter, the other day, I was driving her somewhere, and she's like, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I'm like, Molly, I have been doing this for longer than you've been alive. And not only that, I know where I'm going. I grew up here. Like, I got this. I know where I am going. And she's like, okay, I just don't want you to miss it. And like, when did you become 13? Like, just shut up and sit there and sing the Disney princess songs that we are currently listening to. Just enjoy the ride. I will get you to your destination. What's happening? It's the same thing. We know that God knows where he's going, but we're like, are you sure? Are you sure? Because you're going to miss it. You might miss it. I don't want you to miss it. God's like, where were you when I created everything? Job, like, right? He asked Job, where were you when I flung the stars into existence? Where were you? And Job's like, nowhere. Exactly. <laughs> shut up. Just shut up and follow. That's the whole point. So often we, we reverse it. And we're like, God, you don't know what you're doing. And God's like, you don't know what you're doing. You're, you're not following me anymore. You're running at your own pace. You're allowing your lack of discontentment to drive you crazy. And all the while, I offer you peace and satisfaction and joy and rest amidst the craziness that is your life. If only you would trust me and just sit back and enjoy the ride. And make wise choices. Like, that's what God offers. We flip roles. Jesus loves you too much, guys, to allow you to live a life like that. And the thing is, that what we need most in this life is faith. We need faith in a God that loves us. Because he leads us in paths of righteousness. Literally, it's a carved out track, is what he says. This allows me to cheer on my brother in Christ without competition because I know God is a track for me and my path for me and can cheer me on and I can cheer on my brother as they go. There's nothing that's been more crippling in the last, I want to say since 2013 when Instagram came out, there's been nothing more crippling in this world than comparison. 2010, thank you. Comparison is crushing young people, crushing them. It's crushing mothers who are doing their best to raise kids, but their birthday party doesn't look like that mom's birthday party that she threw. It's killing people. And what, is, what does the Bible say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know that you're with me and you're guiding me, your rod and your staff. You have a carved out path for me specifically. And that means I can cheer on my brother, my sister, however God's using them. I can say yes and amen to that because I know God's working in me in a specific way. What does it do? It crushes comparison, kills it, takes a shotgun, steps on its head and blows it up. Done. You don't have to compare yourself with anybody else because you are his specific own sheep that he loves and shed his blood for.
Like, that's insane. And what does the shepherd say? Follow me. I know your name. I know your needs. I know your wants. Just follow me. I'll lead, I'll lead you where you need to go. Just follow me. Like Joey said it like a million times last week. Just follow me. That's all I'm asking. But man, it's, it is, I mean, it's easy to say, but man, it's hard to believe that God is that trustworthy because we get so jacked up all the time. People fail us. People like just destroy our trust, all that stuff. So we project that onto God. God's not that way. And we're going to stop there. No, we're not. For his namesake, he will continue to be a good shepherd regardless of the badness of his sheep. Come on, that's awesome. He will continue to be good regardless of how bad we are. It's all to the glory of his name. He will do it because he is the good shepherd. He won't say this, this is who I am, but next to his name on his job performance, it says, needs improvement. He says it about himself. Therefore, he will continue to be good despite the actions of his followers because his grace is shown. So no matter how, where you are in your walk with Jesus tonight, it's as easy as confessing, returning, and just start following Jesus, like now. You don't have to wait till tomorrow so I have like a fresh day or whatever. It's right now. God is as close as your breath. He's right there, right? He says, I lead you by my voice, not a whistle, not like, hey, screaming at you. My still small voice, I'm right next to you. I'm leading you, I'm guiding you. If only you would turn. So if you're jacked up and you're twisted and you're like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm lost. I have no peace in my life. I feel like everyone else is doing all of these great things. And here I am doing what I'm doing and it's lame and blah, blah, blah. And they have their life on track and I don't know what I'm doing and all that. Stop. Get your eyes on Jesus and follow him. Follow him. He's a good shepherd. He loves you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to take care of you. Don't let the devil take advantage of your vulnerability and cause you to be run by fear and anxiety. Amen? Let's pray.